here we go indeed. It is the last edition of Jamal About Sports for the year 2019. Coming to you on Tuesday, December 31st, 2019. Happy New Year, everybody. Episode 122 of Jamal About Sports. We've got a big show to get to. We've got lots of action in the NFL yesterday, of course, uh, as which is now sort of grimly referred to as Black Monday, as there are more coaching changes, the coaching carousel, which is now an annual tradition in the NFL. Uh, we'll discuss uh, all of the positions that are open, um, also rank uh, the jobs as far as most desirable to least desirable. Um, we've got more college football to discuss. Uh, we'll, re- we'll recap uh, the big games, the semifinal games from last Saturday. Um, also, uh, take a look at a couple other games that we had our eye on, Iowa, USC, and Memphis, Penn State uh, specifically, and then look ahead to the national championship game and a couple of other bowl games of note as we uh, are swiftly approaching the end of the college football bowl season as well. Uh, but we'll get really quickly, again, because I can't help myself, to the Lions, um, and only because uh, Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia gave their sort of uh, state of the organization addresses yesterday. Um, and, you know, Bob Quinn is uh, a general manager who um, rarely makes himself available to the media. He actually doesn't. He, on purpose, does not make himself available to the media during the season, um, which I find uh, to be uh, a poor choice. Um, I think the more you make yourself available to the media and then as, as a result, uh, by extension, the fans, uh, the more goodwill you engender. Um, but, you know, he chooses to not do that. You know, it's a very Patriots-esque thing to do. Um, and uh, after hearing him yesterday, now I kind of understand why. He exudes all of the confidence of a 14-year-old boy at his first co-ed dance. Um, and he's about as clear as mud in his explanations. I mean, this guy is so clearly overmatched and not anywhere near capable of being a quality general manager in the NFL. It's frightening. I mean, it's really frightening. So uh, I'll spare you, you know, the long and gory details, but essentially here's all you needed to know. He sat there and said that injuries aren't uh, an excuse for the poor record and then listed a litany of the injuries and as to why there was an excuse for the poor record. <laughs> when asked about his, his big free agent signings, um, he gave Trey Flowers undue praise. Look, I'll say it a million times. Trey Flowers is a good player. He's a nice player. He is not a dominant player. He is not an impact player. He is not a game changer or a game breaker or a game wrecker. He's a plotting workmanlike defensive end who, again, is okay against the pass. He had seven sacks this year. Um, You know, doesn't really pressure the quarterback, though, consistently. He's not a disruptor, but he's a decent player. He's a good, hardworking player. He's also one of the highest-played defensive players in the NFL. He's not worth it. But that's when you're the Lions, apparently you have to overpay for talent like that. Um, And he's good against the run. Again, he's not great. He's not great in anything. He's a good, solid player. And listen, maybe he'll get better. He's still, I think, only 26, so perhaps he'll get better. Um, But I doubt it. I mean, he's been in the league now four or five years. This is kind of who he is. Uh, So Quinn gave him way undue uh, praise. 
said Justin Coleman had a really great start to the year. Yeah, well, if you're going to talk about two games, then maybe. Okay, and again, those were somewhat skewed given the fact that he gave up a lot of catches but then was able to punch the ball free on a number of occasions. Um, and then he was mostly hard the rest of the year, and then Quinn tried to say he had a very strong finish. He did not have a strong finish. He's, he was bad. One of the worst corners in the NFL, slot corners in the NFL, and he's the highest paid one. So that was a bust. That was a bust of a, of a signing. Trey Flowers is a decent signing. He's overpaid. But okay, at least he gave you a decent year. Justin Coleman was a bust. And then the third, and this is the most laughable explanation from Bob Quinn, Jesse James, a tight end who they gave money a fairly deep, not a huge contract, but a fairly big one for a guy who was kind of a role player with Pittsburgh, who I liked, by the way, and was productive in Pittsburgh. Gave the Lions nothing this year. I think literally 12 catches, 13 catches, something like that, all season long. And then Quinn said, well, it was hard because, you know, we had a first-round draft pick as a tight end. Well, I'm sorry, Bob. Who made the decision to draft a, a tight end with the eighth pick overall? Uh, somebody else decided to do that? That wasn't you? So it was hard. So you signed Jesse James to a big, big free agent contract first and then also thought it wise to use the eighth pick in the draft on another tight end? Really? When you already had Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, you know we're going to be the main weapons and main targets as far as the passing game is concerned. I mean, again, th- this guy has no plan. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. And then he proceeded to go on some long-winded explanation about how, well, you know, usually it's just one thing. But this year, it was a lot of things. Mm, not really. Your defense was terrible. That's why you, that's why, I mean, listen, forget about what happened with Stafford after Stafford got hurt. I'll be the first to admit that. That's fine. Okay. Stafford, most people know Stafford is, you know, 90% of this team. And since Bob Quinn's been here, he's remained that because Bob Quinn has done a poor job building talent around him. We all know that. So I'm willing to give them a pass on, I mean, if you're going to be bad, you might as well just be bad, bad. So, you know, to me, the idea that they were going to win another three games without Stafford or whatever, who cares? Just go ahead and be terrible and have a top five pick, which they do, which is the third pick in 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 the draft this year. Um... But he said, oh, you know, it was a lot of different things. Well, it really was the defense. I mean, because when the Lions had Stafford, they blew games because the defense couldn't get a stop. Listen, I understand they got off the field against Green Bay and got screwed by two horrible calls. I understand that happened. Okay. Nevertheless, did Justin Coleman have to give up a touchdown to Alan Lazard after the uh, ridiculous penalty extended that drive? Didn't have to, right? It's not a law that says he has to. Um, did they have to blow a 22-point lead to the Cardinals in the first game of the year? No. So, I mean, really, it's the defense, which is Patricia's baby. We know this. So the defense is really the main problem. And then, you know, Patricia just gives you gobbledygook till the cows come home. I mean, he, he is, for a supposed genius, he's one of the most inarticulate human beings I've ever heard speak. Ridiculous. He just goes on long. And you know why that is? Because he probably is smart, but he has really nothing to say. And he has, and, and, and so he goes on these long, rambling, quote unquote, explanations, I think, to try to, you know, provide distraction so that by the end you're like, what did he just say? And then you kind of forget what maybe even the question was. And then you're just exhausted and you just kind of go, you just go away. 
I mean, and you just tune them out. Uh, because, I, I, I mean, listen, they, they, these guys are so ill-suited and ill-equipped to lead an NFL team to success. It's frightening. It's frightening. I have zero faith that A, Quinn will make the right move with the third pick in the draft and will add the right pieces via free agency, will make proper trades. You know, um, it, it just, it's, it's listen, their philosophy, if they have one, again, is at odds with the modern NFL. And this idea that they can only coach and only bring in one type of personality and player is asinine. Look at Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll's had a little bit of success, hasn't he? Would you would you say would you say Pete Carroll, the coach for the Seahawks, has had some success? Obviously, massive success at USC, and he's had massive success with with the, with the Seahawks. Right, won a Super Bowl, should have won two, and they're in the playoffs every year. They're in the playoffs again this year. They've had an entire overhaul, and you know that's the other thing that drives me nuts about all these Patricia and Bob Quinn acolytes that want to buy this garbage about rebuilding. Look what the Seahawks have lost in the last couple of years. From that secondary. No more Earl Thomas. No more Cam Chancellor. No more Richard Sherman. Right? Justin Coleman was a Seahawk. He's gone too. Other guys, that Deshaun Shedd. Other guys that were all big contributors to that defense. Gone. Right? They managed to reload. They don't rebuild. They reload. They draft Shaquille Griffin in the second round. And he turns into a, a top flight corner. The Lions draft Tease Tabor, who's a Boston out of the league after two years. So Pete Carroll loves Quandre Diggs. Can't play for the Lions, but he can play for the Seahawks, apparently, a team that's in the playoffs again, and be a major contributor for that team the second he shows up. Because Pete, Pete Carroll lets guys be themselves. He doesn't care about yes, sir, no, sir, being a robot. Go ahead and be yourself. If you can play, that's all he cares about. And that's all the Lions should care about, too, but they don't. They want a bunch of yes men and robots on that team. It's a joke. It's really it. it and and again, I, you can get away with that all you want as long as you win. But the Lions don't win. Patricia has nine wins in two years. Bob Quinn's record now is under five hundred in four years. Bob Quinn got the gift of a lifetime when he inherited a franchise quarterback in Matthew Stafford. That's what every other team and GM that just made coaching changes is looking for or is not sure that they have yet, that's every team, every year, that's what they're looking to do. Find that that top-fly quarterback. And Alliance had it, and Bob Quinn inherited it, and he's pissed it away. All right, moving on. Week 17. So we talked about the games that were had playoff ramifications. So um, let's start in the AFC where... <laughs> In the upset of upsets, the Patriots lost a home game to the Dolphins, coached by Brooklyn's own and Poly Prep's own Brian Flores. Congratulations to him, by the way. While the whole world, myself included, was saying they were a likely candidate to go 0-16 or 1-15, uh, they played much better in the second half of the year. I think ended up winning five games, including beating the Patriots in New England with the Patriots having home field advantage for the playoffs on the line. So now, by virtue of the Patriots losing that game inexplicably, which included a a Tom Brady pick six to former Patriot Eric Rowe, by the way, a little sweet revenge for him, and Brian Flores, obviously a former Patriot assistant, so you know he was relishing every moment of that. And the Chiefs beating the Chargers. Now the Chiefs would host the Patriots if the Patriots beat the Titans 
on Saturday night, which we'll, we'll get to the, the, the wild card weekend a little bit later in the show. So that was a massive upset. So your number one seed, which we knew all along, was Baltimore. And they took care of the Steelers. Listen, you know I'm a big Mike Tomlin guy. I'm a Steelers guy. I was singing their praises all year. They got to 8-5. and five. They lost their last three games. Look, they just did not have the horses. We've talked about it all year long. And, and, and Devlin, Delvin Hodges was a nice little story there for about four minutes. And he showed what he was, which is an undrafted rookie from Samford. I mean, you know, let's just be honest. Guy, they, they had, and, and no James Conner and no Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, I mean, the Steelers were playing from any, with anything remote, not even remotely resembling a full deck on offense. They just didn't have the horses. So no great shame. I mean, again, you could go back to the beginning of the year. No Roethlisberger, right? Le'Veon Bell, goodbye. Antonio Brown, they traded to the Raiders. Um, you know, Jesse James, not again, not a huge loss, but a guy who was part of their offense last year, left. Um, more, you know, their starting center was hurt for the game against the Ravens. They, they, they just, they, they were depleted, completely depleted team. And the Ravens, with sitting there, guys still managed to win that game pretty easily. I mean, it was in a deluge down in Baltimore. But so the Ravens are your number one seed. Chiefs are your two seed. Patriots, your three seed. Um, Houston's the four. And they play. Uh, who's Houston play? Why am I blanking? Because the Patriots play the Titans. And Houston plays. What, what, what am I missing here? What am I an idiot? Oh, the Bills. Right, the Bills. The Bills. The Bills were locked in there at five with 10 wins. Right. So the Bills are your five seed, and Titans are your six seed. Titans did what they had to do. They beat the Texans. The Texans had no. Their positioning was not a factor, so they didn't even play Deshaun Watson. They didn't play DeAndre Hopkins. Smart. You know, Deshaun Watson's been playing hurt most of the year anyway, so let him rest up. You know, Hopkins is another guy who plays through injuries all the time. Let those guys rest up for the playoffs. The game was meaningless for them. Um, Titans won. Steelers lost. Raiders lost. Called that. You know, they needed a whole mess of things to go right for them to, to get into the playoffs anyway. They lost at Denver. Denver, by the way, with a very strong finish. See, I believe went six and two the second half of the year. May have found their quarterback in Drew Locke. Everybody was ready to call Vic Fangio one and done when they got off to a slow start. Maybe not so much. Seem to have found a stud receiver in Cortland Sutton. They've got the great back, not great, but really good back in Philip Lindsay. Um, Royce Freeman's a solid backup. Denver, Denver needs to get that offensive line cleaned up. Uh, Noah Fant, a rookie tight end out of Iowa, uh, showed some flashes of brilliance this year. And Denver's defense is good. It's getting a little long in the tooth, maybe, at some positions. Um, but uh, their defense played pretty well. So, um, good for them. Nice second half of the year. So that's your AFC playoff picture. NFC, so the Packers, the only saving grace, so the Pack, weirdly the Packers-Lions game was on here in New York. I guess it was the National Fox game at 1 o'clock. The only thing that, I, I, you know, the Lions got out to a 17-3 lead at halftime. I was actually getting annoyed because I didn't want the Lions to win because I don't want Patricia to, to try to use some meaningless game 
as you know some sort of uh, validation that you know all of his machinations are, are, came to fruition. Big deal. You know, they beat the Packers last year in a meaningless game, last game of the season. It cost them Josh Allen, <laughs> the stud pass rusher out of Kentucky, who's on Jacksonville now. And now I'm left with T.J. Stephenson, the tight end out of Iowa, who did absolutely nothing this year. Nothing. Zero. He was basically Eric Ebron. He had a great first game against Arizona. By the way, Arizona's the worst team in the league defending the tight end this year. So you even take that performance with a grain of salt. And he did absolutely nothing the rest of the year. And then got hurt against Chicago. He stunk at blocking, and he gave you nothing in the passing game. Nothing. Listen, I'm not saying he may not develop into a good player. I hope he does. Seems like a good kid, wants to be good, but he had a miserable rookie year. And again, even his, 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 his apex, his maximum productivity, what he's going to give you, not worth the eighth pick in the draft. It's just not. And again, Bob Quinn doesn't understand that, and that's why he is ill-equipped to be a GM for a winning team. So Green Bay, had they lost that game, would not have had home field. Now, um, they got to be the two seed. So the Niners beat Seattle on a, in a crazy game where last play of the game, it was funny, you had a little deja vu. Seahawks got down to first and goal, like right by inside the one. They were going to run the ball. They had a guy hurt. Unfortunately, they took a delay of game penalty because they didn't have any timeouts left. Um, then they got backed up to the five. Then they completed a pass basically at the goal line. And he thought the tight end was going to get in, but he got stood up by the linebacker for 49ers and was literally inches away from scoring and winning that. So by virtue of that, Niners one seed. Packers two seed. By the way, Packers about as unimpressive a two seed as there is. Now look, it's funny. I called the pack. I called. By the way, I got in my preseason predictions. I got. I will give myself a little pat on the back. I got the whole NFC North right. I said Packers one, Vikings two. I did not think the Bears. Uh, I thought the Bears were a bit of a flash in the pan last year. Turned out I was right. And I thought the Lions would be the worst team in the division. I was right. Um, so I picked the Packers. I also said that their coach Matt Lafleur might be a one and done. <laughs> Uh, and I basically, so the Packers, I got right, but not for the reasons that I said. So I basically just said, well, they're the best quarterback in the division, Aaron Rodgers. Um, and so therefore, I guess I'll just go with them. Now, it's not like he had a bad year. 24 touchdowns, only three interceptions. But he didn't have a, you know, a Rodgers, you know, a, a typical Rodgers year, throw for a million yards and 30 plus touchdowns. Uh, but that defense, we talked about it last week, that defense is really good. Particularly Zadarius Smith has made a huge difference. See, that's the difference. Zadarius Smith is a difference maker and a disruptor. Trey Flowers is not. That's it. And I don't need pro football focus to tell me otherwise. I can just watch the games. I've been watching football for 40 years. I played football. I worked for a major Division One college football team. I know football when I see it. Okay. I don't need pro football focus. It's been around for four minutes to tell me if a guy's good or if a guy's not good. Darius Smith's an impact player. Trey Flowers is not. Period. End of discussion. So the Packers are the two seed. Um, who's your three seed? Saints. Then you've got... Uh, 
Oh, the wretched Eagles are the four seed. Minnesota is the... What is it again? Uh, let's see. No, Seattle's the four. Sorry, Seattle's the five. Minnesota's the six. Yeah, Minnesota kind of got the short end of the stick here. I mean, they lost the last game of the year against the Bears. It was a meaningless game. They didn't play anybody. They didn't play Cousins. They didn't play Dalvin Cook. So they were locked into that spot. So yeah, so the Eagles are the four seed. They will play Seattle in Philly. So an 11-5 Seattle team that was a hair's breadth away from being 12-4 and has to go on the road to play the Eagles. You know, they got, they got to change this. This is stupid now. I mean... If it, the rule should be if you, you if you win your division, like the record really shouldn't matter because there was that one year where Seattle won at seven and nine and everybody poo pooed them and then and I believe I had this many moons ago is when we saw the the coronation of beast mode and then New Orleans had to go play at Seattle and they lost the game. So you know if you win your division if it's a terrible year and everybody's bad the record shouldn't matter but you should not be able to host a playoff game if the team you're playing has a better record than you, or you should have to have a minimum of 10 wins to be able to host a playoff game. I mean, that, 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 this needs to change. I mean, the fact that Seattle has to go play Philly in Philly is, is, is idiotic. But anyway, so they're playing at Philly, and then Minnesota plays at the Saints. And then you've got, you know, Green Bay and San Francisco with buys. So if the Saints win, they got to go play in Green Bay. And then uh, the winner of Seattle, Philly, goes and plays the Niners. Which, well, again, we'll get to our predictions for play for Wild Card Weekend in a second. Um, so that's your playoff picture. You know, the Cowboys won. Turned out it was meaningless because the Eagles beat the Giants. Um, and so... There you go. The Cowboys blew out the Redskins. Whoopie woo. Good for them. They finished eight and eight. Uh, you know the dysfunction continues over there. Is uh, you know everybody suspects Jason Garrett's going to get fired, but no announcements have been made as of yet. Uh, apparently, he's had several meetings. He apparently told his assistants that uh, they could you know look for other jobs, but no. As of right now, five o'clock on Tuesday, nobody has said. Uh, there's been no. No updates. We, we, we can go take a look and see if uh, there's anything comes across the wire here about Jason Garrett. Um, I mean, I, you'd think that he'd be gone. I mean, I, I don't see how. I mean, he's been there almost 10 years. Um, they've never, you know, they've won a couple of playoff games, but they've never even gotten to uh, a conference finals, uh, let alone a Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, no, as of now, he's still there. Strange. I suspect he won't be, but as of now, he's still there. And look, he's not a bad coach, but he's not a great coach. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll let AG address that. We're, I think we're going to do a show on Monday, so we'll we'll let our resident Cowboys expert AG get into the, into the Cowboys. So now we move over to the, the coaching. Oh, just just one one quick little tidbit from the from the last week of the season. So we've talked about Jameis Winston a few times on this show. He finished the year with 5,000 passing yards, 30 touchdown passes, and 30 interceptions, and I think seven lost fumbles. So that's 37 turnovers. That's almost, 
You know, it's more than two a game. That, that That's absurd. You can't win with that. And perfectly fitting end to their season. In overtime, I believe first possession of overtime against the Falcons, he threw a pick six to end the game. <laughs> and Bruce Arians, the head coach in, in Tampa, basically not masking uh, his displeasure with Jameis Winston whatsoever. I love B.A. He always honest, always forthright, little sense of humor, and a guy can coach, by the way. If Jameis Winston can't be successful under Bruce Aaron, he's not going to be successful under anybody. I would love for Bruce Aaron to be the Lions coach, by the way. Love it. What he would do with Stafford, forget it. Oh, it would be a match made in heaven. Now, look, I like what Daryl Bevel did this year with the Lions, the new offense coordinator. The offense was playing very well until Stafford got hurt. Except, we all know Bevel's one of the worst play callers in the league when it comes from the five-yard line and in. He was the offensive coordinator with Seattle in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, the infamous pass from the one-foot line. And you go back to that Raiders game this year where the Lions had a chance to tie that game up. And on fourth down, rather than keeping his two best players, Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, on the field, what did he do? He goes three tight ends, try to run a heavy set, and go play action when the whole world knew the Lions were going to try to run the ball at, 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 in from there. And, of course, the Raiders weren't fooled for a second. But overall, I thought Bevel did a very nice job with Stafford this year. Brought back the, the deep passing game, which was nice. A lot of good play action, some, some bootlegs, some rollouts. It was good. I don't have a problem with him. thought he actually did a nice job. But I would love Bruce Arians as the head coach here. Love it. All right, so let's get to the coaching carousel. So, shocker, news alert. Guess what job's open? The Browns' job. Really? Because it's always open. Because that's what the Browns do. 24-7, baby. 7-11. Browns' job. Always open. I mean, it is unbelievable what a joke that franchise is. I mean, I guess as a Lions fan, you could take some cold comfort in the fact that at least we're not the Browns. Because not only did they fire Freddie Kitchens after one year, and look, I talked about the Browns earlier this year. I probably watched about five or six Browns games this year. They looked like a horrendously coached team. All kinds of dumb mental errors, dumb penalties. Uh, a lot of, you know, it seemed like, um, you know, guys not on the same page. Um you know, a lot of uh, bickering back and forth. You, you know, you have a mouthy quarterback, you have mouthy wide receivers. I mean, so look, it, it was a volatile mix to begin with. But again, that begs the question, what in the hell was Freddie Kitchens getting that job in the first place for? The guy was your running backs coach for three quarters of the year last year, got elevated to offensive. You know, people forget when the Browns made all those, you know, made the improvements last year and started playing well, Mayfield started playing well. Greg Williams was the interim head coach, not Freddie Kitchens. He got elevated from running backs coach to offensive coordinator. But he has zero pedigree. You know, they didn't even consider hiring Greg Williams as the head coach, which is, you know, look, that's fine. I mean, he's not that exciting either. But uh, Freddie Kitchens had no business getting the job in the first place is the point. And now we just found out that John Dorsey, their GM, you know, another one of these guys that, you know, thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Uh, he's leaving now, too, because he couldn't get couldn't come to an agreement with ownership on the new management structure moving forward, whatever that means, which I think what it meant was they were going to let the new head coach be more involved in player personnel, um, which, look, if you're going to do that, you got to hire an established veteran guy. Um, and that obviously, you still need to have, you know, at least a president of football operations, a general manager, and, you know, guys to manage the salary cap, that kind of stuff. And those guys got to be in lockstep. 
So, you know, Dorsey probably said, look, I'm not, I'm not down for this. I'm out. Uh, maybe he'll go get a job somewhere else and take a year off, and then he'll get hired again somewhere else. Because he actually has a decent track record. I mean, if you look at Cleveland, it's a talented team. I mean, he, th- there's talent there, but there's no leadership and there's no direction. And it always starts with ownership. And Jimmy Haslam and D Haslam, his wife, proven to be two, the, the worst, one of the, the worst owners in football. I mean, they're awful. I mean, this is a joke now. I mean, they have a new coach every other year. It's laughable. And again, there's talent with that Browns team. There's a lot of talent on that Browns team. And Matt Rule, my guy from Baylor, has already said he will not interview for that job, and I don't blame him. Complete dysfunction over there. So Brown's job is open. They're going to interview Mike McCarthy. Um, you know, some of the usual suspects. They're going to interview Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator from the Niners. Um, you know, they're going to interview the passing game coordinator for the Niners, the running game coordinator for the Niners. The other job's open, the Giants' job. They fired Pat Shermer. Again, another, what the hell was he doing getting the job to begin with? 9-23 as a head coach for the Browns. 9-23 as a head coach for the Giants. I mean, again, I never understood the hire to begin with. Now, Gettleman gets to stay, which has rankled many Giants fans, and I don't blame him. And, you know, look, the Giants, remember, the Giants are sort of the sister organization to the Maras, right? They've had uh, the Maras and the, and, and, and the Roonies. I think their children have, had, uh, have married one another. You know, Wellington Mara and, and, and Art Rooney were, were, were very good friends. You know, I think John Mara and, and, and uh, Dan Rooney are good friends. Uh, they fancy themselves as basically being the same. Well, the Steelers have had three coaches in 50 years. The Giants now are starting to delve into Browns territory, unfortunately. Because, I mean, this is what, their third coach now? Well, second coach? Third, if you're going to include... Uh, whoever was the interim after they got rid of McAdoo, but that doesn't really count. But, I mean, McAdoo was here for four seconds, and now Shermer was here for four seconds. Again, never understood the Shermer hire to begin with. It's a weird hire. It was a bad year that year for coaches, by the way. Except it looks like Tennessee hit on it when they got Vrabel. The Lions, of course, hired the wrong Patriots assistant, and they hired Patricia. And the Giants, by, by the way, supposedly also really wanted Patricia, but then the Lions got him, so then they settled on Pat Shermer, who was coming off, you know, uh, a, a lucky year with the Vikings when everything broke their way with Case Keenum, and then therefore he became a darling because he, you know, he's supposedly some offensive genius. And uh, no, so uh, so he's gone. Gettleman gets to stay. Look, Gettleman has not drafted terribly. He's made some good draft picks. You know, most notably, of course, the quarterback. Right now, look. Daniel Jones got plenty of things to clean up, particularly his pocket presence, and he can't fumble the ball as much as he does when he gets sacked. He's got to do better with that. You know, the interceptions, that stuff's going to, you know, you're going to get that out of a rookie quarterback, of course. A lot of the stuff that you see from him is rookie quarterback kind of stuff. But the pocket presence stuff, he's got to get better at. He's got to work on getting rid of the ball quicker. He can't hold the ball as long as he does. And again, he's got to feel the rush better. And, you know, I don't know that you can learn that. Some of that's instinctive. Some of that's inherent. But he's a smart kid. He seems like for sure he's got the right demeanor to handle being a quarterback in New York. He's a lot, got a lot of Eli in him. Let's be honest. He does. You know, he definitely has a lot of Eli in him. And that's a good thing. His arm's plenty strong enough. He's plenty athletic enough. He's plenty smart enough. I think he'll be fine. Is he going to be elite elite? No. Should definitely be an above average quarterback, no, for the next five, seven, ten years. For sure. 
So Gettleman des- definitely gets credit for that. Because remember, everybody panned that pick. Everybody thought it was a ridiculous reach to pick him at six. And everybody hammered Gettleman for taking Barkley the year before. But if Jones is going to be good, and I think he is, having him and Barkley now for the next five years, shall we say, or let's, let's just say three years at least, right? Because Barkley's already two years in, NFL running back, shelf life not that long. But, and Barkley already got injured. He's gotten banged up a little bit here. But if those are your two, two cornerstone pieces on offense, pretty good. And I again, I like some. I understand the defense was a disaster this year. I think some of these guys he's drafted are, are, are good players. I think they need a different scheme and a different coach. And I think Bechter will be gone. Well, he's he's definitely gone because Shermer's gone. So I understand why Giants fans are mad. And Gettleman is look, he's very easy to not like, right? He's got the bad Boston accent. He's another one of these guys that thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. He's smug. He's condescending. I totally understand why Giants fans don't like him. I get it 100%. I'm going through the same thing with my GM. So I'm, I'm with you, Giants fans. I get it, Justin. I understand. But I, you could certainly justify keeping Gettleman more than the Lions can justify keeping Bob Quinn. Put it that way. So this next hire is obviously critical. Matt Rule, probably first and foremost on the list, was a Giants assistant offensive line coach about seven years ago when Gettleman was an assistant GM there, so they know each other. Matt Rule seems to me be perfect fit for the Giants. They're also looking at Eric Bieniemy, former star running back at University of Colorado and been the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs under Andy Reid. Also happens to be black. It would be nice to see a couple of uh, black guys get head coaching jobs again in the NFL because that's starting to go way back to the other the old days now. I mean, I remember when I first first started doing a show in about 09 and we talked about the dearth of uh, black head coaches in the NFL. Um, and then we had a run there where there was, you know, I think maybe six, seven, eight. And now we're back down to what, like two or three? Right? Anyway. And look, I'm not saying hire a, a, a guy to be a head coach just because he's black. No, obviously he needs to be qualified. But, I mean, if Pat Shermer can get a second chance with the Giants, you know, why can't Jim Caldwell get another chance someplace else? His last year, he was his last... He, 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 Jim Caldwell coached with the Lions for four years and won three out of those four years. And it doesn't sound like... And his worst year was seven and nine. It doesn't sound like a lot until you, again, consider the history of the Lions franchise. And then it's actually pretty impressive. So I understand he's older and he's not, you know, friends with Sean McVay. So therefore, you know, I guess he's not he's not a hot commodity. But again, why Pat Shermer could get a second chance with the Giants. A guy like Jim Caldwell, who's been an assistant in helping out Brian Flores this year, could certainly get another chance. I'm not saying for the Giants, but they could do worse. I mean, look, Josh McDaniels is getting interviewed by the Browns and maybe even the Giants, I think. Why does Josh McDaniels get to get a second chance? He was a complete disaster in Denver. Then he took the Colts job two years ago and then left them at the altar. Why would anybody give that guy another chance? I wouldn't. I wouldn't let that guy come 10 feet in my organization. Please. But he coaches for the Patriots. Ridiculous. So I think, look, I think the Giants do well. You know, Eric Bieniemy, who knows? Look, he, he's, you know, that's Andy Reid's offense, but he's, he's calling the plays this year. 
He's running that offense. He's learned at the feet of Andy Reid, who for all of the you know his faults, Andy Reid wins. Wins a lot, and he always has good offenses. And Biennemi has, has, has certainly bided his time and paid his dues as an assistant coach. So, you know, I don't know much about his personality yet. I have to, you know, I, I need to know more about that. But he seems like an affable guy. Seems like players really like him. I think Giants could do worse than him. I think Matt Rule, though, would be a home run. Carolina job is open. Talked about them firing Ron Rivera a few weeks back. Ron Rivera just took the job with the Redskins. Uh, I mean, talk about another dysfunctional franchise. Redskins don't have a GM, don't have a president, because they finally cut the cord with Bruce Allen, long overdue. But then they hire a coach. I mean, so now you're going to foist. And look, Ron Rivera's a good coach. Two-time coach of the year. Made the Super Bowl with Cam Newton. Right? Discipline. Teams play hard. He's a very good defensive-minded coach. Ron Rivera's a good coach. You can do a lot worse than Ron Rivera. I'm not saying the hire is a bad hire, but the way in which the Redskins go about it, of course, is completely dysfunctional. I mean, so now you're going to foist Ron Rivera on whoever the new GM is? It makes no sense. But apparently, I guess Ron Rivera is going to have a say in who they pick as GM. Uh, again, this just it, it seems it's classic Redskins. I mean, they just they they, they just uh, Dan Snyder, the owner, just does not get it. He just doesn't get it. So the Browns' job's open, Giants' job's open, Carolina, Washington just filled their spot. Jacksonville, by the way, all these reports that Doug Marone was going to be out, he's not out, and Dave Caldwell, the GM, not out. They're back for one more year, which I think is the right move. I understand that a disappointing year. I, I think, you know, look, and, and I won't even, you know, look, hiring Coughlin to be president of football operations, you know, I... I didn't hate it at the time, but again, similar, not nearly as disastrous as Phil Jackson at the Knicks, but same thing. Tom Coughlin's a coach, not a front office guy. You don't, you don't hate, you know, in, in, in theory, it was not a bad idea. Obviously, in practice, it didn't work out. So I think you got to give Marone and Caldwell one more year to be able to operate independent of having the specter of Tom Coughlin looming uh, about. And then we'll see if the Dallas job is open. But other than that, I mean that's that, that's it. Those are, so it's not as many jobs. You know, some some years there's been like eight or nine jobs open. You know, the Lions job should be open. It's not, but that's it, right? Everybody else, Philly, not doing anything. Chargers, Raiders, Broncos, Jacksonville, Colts, Bengals. Yeah, Jets keeping Adam Gaze. And look, they finished the year strong too. Again, once they got Darnold back, they were a totally different team. Uh, the defense played great in the second half of the year. We talked about that last week. So, one, two. Right now, there's three jobs open because the Washington job just got filled. Probably four, assuming Garrett's out in Dallas. So, of those jobs, this is a tough one if we're going to rank them because, look, from a talent perspective, I mean, there's always, a couple of things you always look at, right? We talked about this before. There's a couple of criteria. First of all, what's the ownership uh, situation like, right? You want to go someplace with, with stable ownership where they empower the people that they hire to be successful and they put them in a position to be successful, right? And they stay out of the way. And they let you hire who you want to hire, spend money, and do what you want to do. Then you look at, is there a franchise quarterback in place or a potential franchise quarterback in place, Right? And then, you know, what's the salary cap situation look like? 
Those are probably the three biggest criteria. And if it's going to be a tear down and a rebuild, again, is the ownership going to be patient enough to, to take their lumps while that process is happening? So if you look at these, I mean, the worst job, well, Washington job's already filled. So we're only, we're only going to address the Browns, the Giants, and Carolina. Carolina's got a new owner in David Tepper. He's kind of a, a newer, youngish guy, younger guy. You know, he's not 75. He's not young, young. He's in his 50s, I think. But, you know, he's kind of a progressive thinker. Um, they've got a great fan base there. Assuming Cam Newton is healthy and wants to come back and play, which is a big if right now, um, you've got a quarterback that when he's healthy is as good as any quarterback in the league. Look, I'm not the biggest Cam fan. You know that. I think he's a bit of a front runner. He's a very much of a me guy, but he also takes a beating and never really complains. Does not get the same benefit from the officials that the Golden Boys, Brady and Rogers do, uh, and still is extremely, supremely talented guy when he's healthy. Um, and they've got some decent pieces in place there too. The Giants. We just talked about Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. There's, there's, you know, there's two cornerstone pieces there. Typically, great ownership, right? Historically, very good ownership. Now, the Gettleman situation, mm, you know, who knows? And then you look at the Browns, tons of pieces, lots of talent, horrendous ownership. So if I'm going to rank the jobs, I think I got to go Giants first based on all the criteria. If you're going just talent, the Browns have the most talent of those three teams. And I understand Baker Mayfield had a bad year. I understand he's mouthy and he rubs people the wrong way. Uh, he really needs to zip his lip. It would be nice. But, you know, I listen, I think we're long past those days, folks. This is just how they do. That's how that generation does. They do not care. They feel entitled and that they have every right to express every inane thought that pops into their head on a minute-by-minute basis because of social media, Twitter specifically. That's just how it is. And guys like me, who grew up in the 70s and 80s and watching a completely different sport, I, got to, I guess I'm just going to have to get used to it. Because these guys don't care. Baker Mayfield is like, how dare you question my uh, ability to speak my mind? I'm going to say whatever I want, whenever I want. That's just how he is. And you can do that as long as you win, but he hadn't won anything. He hadn't done anything yet. You know, you'd like to see him maybe learn some lessons here and just zip it and just go out and play. And look, I don't doubt Baker Mayfield's desire to be really good. I think he'll work his ass off. I think he's a good quarterback. But he's, you hope he kind of learns a lesson here after the way this year went. And so that's why that, that organization needs a coach. They do not need some 32-year-old head coach. I mean, that's why hiring Kitchens was idiotic beyond belief. I mean, a guy with no pedigree, no gravitas, you know, no track record whatsoever. You know, what is Freddie Kitchens, 38? You know, he was, he was a mediocre quarterback at Alabama. I mean, that's, come on. And he was an offensive coordinator for six games last year. Ridiculous. It was a ridiculous hire. It's not his fault. It's not Freddie Kitchen's fault. He should have never been put in that position to begin with. And what's he going to do? Say no? I mean, there's 32 of these jobs. Of course you're going to say yes if you get one. But from a talent perspective, I think the Browns are the best job. But given the disaster that the ownership is, can't, I, can't, I can't say that that's the best job. So I'm going to go Giants, Carolina, and the Browns.
And then, you know, Dallas is the wild card. You'd think at this point now, Jerry's going to want to make a splash higher. You know, again, when we come back on Monday with AG here, maybe hopefully they will have either decided to keep Garrett, which I find highly unlikely, or they'll have, you know, they will have fired Garrett. They won't have a new head coach in place just then, but I'm sure the names will be bandied about. And you can expect to hear Urban Meyer's name and Lincoln Riley, maybe even Matt Rule there as well, right? He's the Baylor coach right now. So we'll see. All right, we'll take a short break. Be back with college football right after this. All right, we're back here on the New Year's Eve edition of Jamal About Sports as we send 2019 to the showers and look forward to 2020. So a couple of games over the weekend that caught my eye. One was Iowa-USC. Anybody ever listen to this show, you know what an admirer I am of the University of Iowa football program, right? Uh, Hayden Fry was the coach when I was growing up watching uh, Iowa. He was the basis for the character. Uh, Hayden Fox played by... uh, ably played by Craig T. Nelson on the show Coach. Um, you know, you know my feelings on Iowa. Talk, they, they are, they literally, Iowa is this are the Steelers of college football. Everything down to the uniform. Same exact college scheme, same uniforms, the black and gold with the helmets and the pants and the jerseys and the whole thing. Right? Iowa's had two coaches in the last 40-something years, right? They had Hayden Fry, and then Ferentz has been there. Kirk Ferentz has been there for 21 years, right? They compete every year. They're always good. I mean, it's amazing. They, 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 the parallels are striking. And so you know I'm a massive admirer of that program. And there they were against another blue blood college football program in USC who has fallen on some hard times recently. Right? A lot of people thought Clay Helton, the head coach, should be fired. They ended up keeping him. They've had a lot of upheaval. You know, they've, they've changed uh, athletic directors constantly. They were embroiled with the, with the college admissions scandal. Uh, there's a lot of nonsense going on over there at USC. Supposedly, their recruiting class is ranked as one of the worst in the whole country. Um, but meanwhile, they've, they've got athletes all over the place and guys that can play all over the place. And Caden Slovis, their freshman quarterback, is a stud. And that game was great. Iowa scored, to, uh, sorry, Iowa got up. USC scored, got it to 28-24, executed a perfect onside kick where the kicker himself recovered the kick. So they had great field position, got a first down, and then Slovis got hurt, and then that was it for USC. They were done. The whole, all the air went out of that team. Backup quarterback came in, couldn't get anything done, and that was it. And Iowa went out and rolled and played great. But again, I mean, Iowa, that's, University of Maryland, if you're, you should aspire to be Iowa. Forget about oh Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State. Forget about that. Iowa should be the model again. What they they got to ten wins this year, right? They're going to put four or five guys in the pros again, like they always do. On a bad year for them is seven and five. They usually win between eight and ten games every single year. This was the Holiday Bowl out in San Diego, which is a good bowl game to make. They don't have 17 different uniform permutations like Oregon and and Texas A&M and Florida State now and all this other nonsense. They don't have some $4 billion shiny new football facility. Somehow they can recruit. Somehow they're always good every year. They put guys in the pros every year. And by the way, their players are always pro ready also, the majority of them. The whole league knows you draft Iowa players, you know what you're going to get. 
They're a model college football program. And guess what? Oh, Kirk Ferentz hasn't won four national championships. Oh, and they're actually they're not going to fire him? It's amazing. Unlike all these other dopes in college football, they don't think it's their birthright to compete for a national championship every year. They're happy with eight wins, nine wins, high-profile bowl games, kids graduating, guys going to the pros. They're happy with that. And guess what? They should be. That should be the model. It should be the standard. I love them. Absolutely love them. And USC, by the way, I don't think the future is nearly as bleak as everybody else does. Again, they've got a stud quarterback who's a freshman. And they've got plenty of athletes all over that team. They'll, they'll, they, uh, you know, Look, you, you can argue whether or not Clay Helton is the right guy to lead a team. Uh, I don't follow them as closely, right? I'm here in New York. I'm not on the West Coast. I, I don't know the ins and outs, what goes on over there. You know, I watch USC three times a year, four times a year maybe. But I don't think the future is nearly as bleak as everybody else does. The other game that was interesting to watch, which we talked about last week, I was interested to see, was the, you know, the, the, the group of six, non-Power 5, Memphis Tigers against Penn State. And I'll tell you, Memphis hung in there. They really did. They, they, they hung in. They, they gave Penn State all they could handle for a long time. Um, you know, I was very impressed with what Memphis did. And, you know, they lost their coach because now he's going to go coach at Florida State, Mike Norville. Um, but the, 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 the standout performer of that game was this kid, Micah Parsons, I guess, outside linebacker, uh, for Penn State, number 11. The guy was all over the field. I want to say he had 15 tackles, three sacks, one of which forced a fumble that led to a touchdown, which pretty much put the game out of reach for Memphis. Um, he was all over the field. He, he, he was an absolute, he looked like Lawrence Taylor. He was a dominant force. Memphis had no answers for this guy he was everywhere and he's only a sophomore so he should absolutely be in the conversation for Heisman next year I think I mean I know defensive players rarely if ever win it Charles Woodson most recent one and that's already what 20 years ago and that was a bit of a fake because they they got him the ball a bunch on offense in some gimmick plays to try to boost his his uh his resume um but uh, this kid was unbelievable. He was everywhere. All right, now let's get to the games. LSU blew out Oklahoma. We knew they were going to do that. Uh, we talked about it last week. Oklahoma kind of backdoored their way in there by you know by virtue of that overtime win against Baylor. Look, LSU has just got it all working. And Burrow was ridiculous. He had seven touchdowns in the first half. Uh, the Jefferson kid, wide receiver, at four by himself. Uh, they didn't even need Edwards Hilaire, their star running back, who only got a couple of carries but was nursing a, a tender hamstring. Um, LSU defense played well enough. They, they completely frustrated Jalen Hurts and that Oklahoma offense for, mo- for the first half. Uh, you know, Oklahoma put a couple, couple of window dressing touchdowns up late to make it look somewhat respectable. But, I mean, that was a complete and utter domination by LSU. Now, so we called that one, and then we got Clemson against Ohio State. That was a completely different affair. So I called Clemson there. Ohio State was up 16-0. couple of things. They had a touchdown, got taken off the board because it looked like J.K. Dobbins, a running back, had a touchdown. Then he didn't catch the touchdown. Ended up settling for a field goal there. 
Um, so instead of 17 nothing, it was 13 nothing. Then they kicked another field goal. So that game probably should have been 20 nothing at half. It was 16 nothing. Then you got the questionable targeting call on the kid from uh, the Ware kid from Ohio State. The corner seemed to spark LSU. He got kicked out of the game. He's one of their best players. The guy, his replacement, had a rough afternoon, a rough night. The second half of that game. Um, Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback from Clemson, had a hell of a second half, including the long touchdown run. And then give Ohio State credit. I mean, they they drove down the field and had a chance to win, and then a miscommunication leads to an interception from Fields. But that was really... And then you had a touchdown taken off the board from Ohio State, a defensive touchdown that really looked like there was not enough evidence to overturn that. Ohio State kind of got screwed. I'm no Ohio State fan, although I like them a lot more now that Urban Meyer is not the coach. But... Um, and I'm no Clemson fan really either, but uh, Ohio State kind of got screwed there. They kind of did, but it sets up a phenomenal. I mean, listen, either of those two teams against LSU is a great matchup. Um, so you know, we'll get to predictions for that game next week because that game's not till January 13th. And that will be a wrap on 2019. As always. Thanks for listening. Thanks to all those who have taken the time out of your, I'm sure, busy lives to listen to either one or all of my shows this year. I genuinely appreciate it. I wish you all a healthy and happy new year. We'll be back next week with a new show, the first show of 2020. Until then, peace out.